Welcome to New Spring Church. We pray this message has inspired you to live a great life. For more information about our story, go to newspring.org.au. So a couple days ago was Friday and Andrew and I celebrated 10 years of marriage. And I've got to say, I, 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 I say that, I say, like I've been saying, oh yeah, it's our wedding anniversary. And people go, well, how long have you been married? 10 years. And they go, oh, that's cool. And I say, well, how long have you been married? They go, like 37, 25. And, okay, I understand we're still young, but you know, this has been the most remarkable 10 years of our life. And um, we've had a phenomenal marriage thus far and can't wait for to see how we move forward. But I was just thinking about marriage and the, the way I kind of grew up and um, just kind of some of the models that were in front of me when it came to marriage. And to be honest, I don't think I had a lot of great modeling in front of me when it came to marriage because um, we have things that are kind of shoved in our face. In fact, I was thinking about, I've got a couple of slides of when I was growing up, this was kind of some of the modeling I saw um, when it came to marriage. Sandy, you can just like um, chuck those um, slides up just as, as we kind of go. Anyone remember that one? Yeah, we used to like watch that a lot. I'm, a, I'm really an 80s kid. Um, the next one, this was a really big one. Yeah, a lot of family values came across in that one. Then um, moving along, anyone remember that? Man, I used to love that. I love my brother. That, that was fantastic. And uh, so we moved a little bit further. Does anyone watch this one? Geez, kind of changed a little bit now. And, and recently, um, this family's kind of been up as like a poster family. And, and um, but... If you think about it, as, as humans, we're kind of hotwired to emulate and to follow and to look at examples in front of us and say, oh, I'm going to take that, I'm going to apply it to my life. That's kind of how we're hotwired to work. In fact, the 16th century politician and writer, Andrew Fletcher, he said this, Give me the making of a people's songs, and I care not who makes the laws. What he was saying is that there is something about the creative arts, there's something about what comes out of civilization, particularly in the creative arts, that actually informs, and not only informs, but it actually shapes the values of that land. And we find that all around. I mean, where we are right now is a consequence of what has been shown on the screen sometimes decades ago, and it was got put there as a seed, and all of a sudden, fast track, and it's what we see right now. So the creative arts, like songwriting, film, writing, they shape culture. And um, you know what? Wherever there is a void in our life, it will be filled by something. It will be filled by something. Always is. And um, generally, we find a void in our life and it's filled by something. And generally, we're left really unsatisfied. And we can come a little bit jaded. Um, I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes you can see a young couple and they're holding hands and, you know, they're looking at each other and you can just see, ah, oh, they're in love. You know, it's a little bit like Kim and Cynthia at the back, just that young love over there. Look at them, holding hands in church. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. When I grew up, I was told you need like a meter for the Holy Spirit or something. Anyway, <laughs> that is stupid Christian jargon. Anyway, but anyway. Uh, but, but, but have you ever kind of looked at this young couple and think, they're just young, they'll get over it. Have you ever like sort of, <laughs> we can sometimes get a bit jaded like that, but what if God actually intended that our romance and our love and our relationships 
would be something that would always return to spring. That instead of having a dying love, that we would have a love that deepens and becomes richer, not poorer. I mean, could you imagine somehow if this was possible? If God somehow was somehow could actually just download some information or, or give us a picture or, or somehow tell us or put an example in front of us and say, this is kind of what I was thinking about when it came to relationships, when it came to marriage. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be so helpful wouldn't it? He actually has. <laughs> it's actually, um, God has given us this raw, unedited, in a lot of ways, unchristian book in the Bible that is supposed to inform us. In fact, it's part of what we call the wisdom literature. Isn't that amazing that we've got all this wisdom literature and right back in the, in the middle of the wisdom literature, he gives us a book for wisdom in relationships it's called the book of Song of Solomon. But here's the deal. What's happened? It is so raw. It's so unedited that previous generations have been so uncomfortable with it that they have interpreted and used it as an allegory, which is fine because all Scripture viewed through the lens of Jesus is an allegory. So that's fine. But as we've developed as a church and as we've move forward as theologians, we've actually come to terms with the rawness of this book. And we've seen that this picture of love and romance is depicted in this, that it is there to inform, it's there to, for us to emulate, it's there for us to be an example, and it is wisdom. And I want to take uh, a, a fair few weeks to actually journey through this book. And you're actually going to see different stages in relationships as we go. We're going to start today, and we talk about wisdom of attraction. Anyone want to be, like, attractive to, like, people, like to your spouse or to a potential husband or wife? Yeah? Three people. Does anyone want to be attractive? I tell you what, I want to be walking into the house and have Andrews look at me and go, mm, mm-mm. I don't, man, that, that, that you see, uh, she, uh, she might not say it, but she look at me and say, that boy, that, that, that boy's mine. And I'm going to be looking at my wife and saying, Ooh, yeah, I'm a blessed man. And that woman is mine. See, in a church, we get uncomfortable with that. And what happens is that when we don't talk about these things in church, especially the younger generations get a theology about sex or relationships from outside of the church. And then we wonder why relationships are breaking down. We wonder why we aren't falling more in love with each other. We're wondering why, oh my gosh, I've just done 10 years. Could I do another 10? No. No, that should not be the case. And that is not God's intention for us. And um, even if we've made, let's face it, all of us have made mistakes along the way, haven't we? Or is anyone perfect here? Because if you, maybe you should come and preach this morning. We've all made mistakes along the way. In fact, I made a big mistake last night, so that's fine. Andy used to love me, don't you, baby? Yeah? But, you, you know, but we want to grow and we want to mature in it. And um, it, it's amazing. So in this book, we see attraction. We see courtship. We see honeymoon. We see the, 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 the marriage bedroom. We see conflict. Any conflict? Yeah? You know, one of the biggest um, challenges for married couples is to learn how to fight. Fair. Learn how to fight. Fair. Right? (laughs) 
You can't, you can't just go through your marriage life and have your head in the sand all the way and like, oh, I'm going to ignore this. I'm going to just clam up. Because if you keep on clamming up, you will blow up at some stage. And if you allow a, bit, a root of bitterness to actually seep down, guess what? That root of bitterness is a hard sucker to get out. And how much more to actually apply God's wisdom and learn how to address conflict well and how, how, how to use it for, for redemptive purposes. There's reinvention and deepening. Do you know these couples, they go on in their life, they are reinventing. They're, 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 they're like finding out new things. It's incredible. And faithfulness, the idea of faithfulness. So we're going to start with the wisdom of attraction. And... Um, <clears throat> This is um, kind of a thought that isn't just for those of us who aren't married right now. I think it's a thought that applies to everyone. In fact, I think there's wisdom for everyone across this. And throughout the Song of Solomon, you're going to find a woman speaking. You're going to find a man speaking. Then you're going to find like uh, a crowd speaking. So it's very poetic in, in the way it's ordered and it's very structured. And let's face it, Solomon was a really, really, really wise guy. So he put a lot of... Like this is phenomenal how this is written, but we're going to um, read the first section of the Song of Solomon, and the first section goes from um, chapter one, verse two, to chapter two, verse seven, and you'll find a common um, kind of stanza um, throughout the Song of Solomon, and they separate the different sections. Um, so we're going to read from verse two and four, and you know what? I'm just going to pretty much read through this and explain what's going on in the poetry and all that, and hopefully we'll get some great wisdom out of that. Are you happy with that? Verse 2, here we go. The woman is speaking, and she is saying, May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil, therefore the maidens love you. Draw me after you and let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. I don't know if anyone's familiar with um, football. I watch AFL quite a lot. And um, you sort of listen to the commentary and all that. And, and, and the players will be on the field and, and, and they're running with the ball and, and they're about to like handball and then they don't handball and then they move away. And like the commentators say this, oh, he sold the dummy. Have you ever heard that? He sold the dummy. He sold the dummy. I was thinking about that, like watching it. It's like he sold the dummy. I was thinking to myself, how many times in relationships or how many people have actually been sold a dummy in their relationships? Any hands? Don't put up your hands. Don't put up your hands. <laughs> but I've kind of, I've been sold a dummy. And, and the reason why we're sold a dummy is because it promised something so much, but we bought into it only to find out that oh, it wasn't the real deal. And we, we can understand that. It's almost like you're on the field, you're playing this game of life. Someone comes up to you and you just go, yeah. And the commentators, oh my goodness, he was sold the dummy. She was sold the dummy. That happens because we don't understand or we don't go after the right things. But from right off the bat, this book actually gives us wisdom as to what it should be that actually attracts us to people. And as we read through this, this woman is telling us what it is that is attracting her to this man. And this attraction, this is a strong, she has so much desire. Like read, in the first thing, he, she's saying, take me, the king, take me to your chambers, like the wedding bed straight away. And not yet. Settle down. All right. There is desire 
just straight away. And, and, and you notice the woman's telling us, this is, what, this is why I desire this man so much. And it's not as nice smile. It's, it's not as grooming. It's not like, thank goodness for that. It's not like, it's not like his body is six-pack. It's not his humor. It's not the fact that this fella frequently goes to this building that has a cross on it either, right? Because you can find some dummies in church too, by the way. This, mention, this woman mentions none of these. Guess what she says? She says this, your oils, your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Get this, get this. Listen to this, especially if you are single right now. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore, the, the maidens love you. You know, when the Scripture says your name, Scripture is talking about character. Your name. Because when charm fades, ladies... All you're left with is character. All you're left is is character. And it takes time for a name to be established, doesn't it? I was just thinking about five years ago, I started on this journey of, of being your senior pastor. And around the city and all that, a lot of people, when, when, when they heard the name Dave Ryder, there was a lot of things that went with the name Dave Ryder. But when I came over here and it was like Dave Ryder, nothing came with the name Dave Ryder for the simple fact that you guys didn't know who I was. I remember one young adult um, who's now, oh, far out. Oof, he'd be in his 30s now. And um, he just kept on like just getting distracted and all that. And, and I remember one conversation I had with him in the church foyer. And he says, you know what, Dave, no matter where I go, I know where I'm going to find you. And I said, where's that? He said, I'm going to find you in church. But he understood that about the name Dave Ryder, but that was established over many years. Now, five years on, you guys know a little bit more about me, right? But there's something that comes with a name, isn't it? There's something that comes with the name Donna Smith. You're, you automatically think of stuff, don't you? Right? Everyone's laughing and smiling right now. Absolutely. You know stuff that comes with a name. And it actually takes time for a name to be established. So if we are people who are looking at character of a person, you need to understand that, that you cannot judge and you cannot see character like in five minutes, like, oh, man, that, 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 that guy's got such an amazing character. Really? Does he have a great character or just have great biceps? Seriously. Right? Because it takes time for a name to be established. Now, now listen to what this amazing godly woman says. She says, his name is like purified oil. He's saying this oil has a fragrance. So what is she saying? She's saying that this, this person, this man, is like this purified oil, and this oil is experienced and felt by the surrounding community. So sometimes... Well, every single time, if you're looking for a fella or a lady who's got some good character, you need to see what his or her name is like, what it smells like with the surrounding community. Right? Wisdom from Song of Solomon. And guess what she says? This is what I love about this woman. This is amazing. This is so phenomenal about this woman. Because she says, listen to what she says. She says, your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Guess what she says? Guess what she says? This is a, this, I love this. I love this. I love this. Therefore, the maidens love you. She is so secure in herself 
that she knows that her man is a man of character, that he is known and loved. And this is what she's saying, you know, any woman would love to have you, but you're mine. But she is so secure in that. And I think security is something that really does come and sneak up on each and every one of us, doesn't it? We can rely on so many things, but to actually galvanize our character, we need to look at some of the fears that we actually have inside of us because some of those fears will actually outwork themselves to get us into some trouble down the way. But, but we can actually look at our character and look at our fears and, and say, God, I need to be secure in myself. I need to be, uh, I need to be a man or a woman that, 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 that knowing that man... God, you blessed me with this man, you blessed me with this woman, and I know any other woman would love to have him, but that's fine, they can't, because he's mine. And I'm secure in that. I'm secure in that. Did you get that one? And the character of this woman is so amazing. In fact, the security and character of this woman is so phenomenal. Let me read um, from verse 5, okay? Now, this sounds a little bit odd to our hearing, but I'll explain it. It says, I am black, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem. So she's talking to a bunch of daughters of Jerusalem. You know, as we go down, you get this idea that she's, have you ever watched that movie, Mean Girls? It's almost like she's talking to these mean girls. You know, I'm black, but lovely. I'm black, but lovely. Like the tents of Cater, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm swarthy or I'm dark. For the sun has burned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me caretaker of the vineyards, but I've not taken care of my own vineyard. What is she saying? I'm, I don't look like you. Because in, in, in the ancient, in the Orient, like the culture, the most beautiful thing about a woman was her skin. And she's saying, I'm dark, I'm black, but I'm lovely. She says, I'm like the tents of Cater. The tents of Cater were black. All right? That's what it was, the tents of Cater. But there's this juxtaposition that says, my, my, my skin is dark. It is black. Externally, I don't look beautiful in your eyes or in your perception. But he says, but the curtains of Solomon, this juxtaposition between the, the, the tents of Cater, which are black, and the curtains of the temple of Solomon, which are beautiful. That's why she says, I am black, but lovely. See, what security does inside of us is that people may look at me and say, Dave, you've lost all your hair. Look, there's a lot of people in the world who are far more attractive than me, but I'm pretty awesome. And that's not being arrogant. That comes out of a security in that. You know, for the life of me, I'd love to have a six-pack. I have never, not even in the womb, did I have a six-pack. No, never. Seriously. I thought for some reason I could just look at some food and two kilograms just piles on like that. But I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know it. I know it. There's something about actually looking at life and these mean girls, the daughters of Jerusalem, are staring at this woman because she's dark, because she's like black and all this. And she's saying, don't stare at me. Because I may be black, but I'm lovely. That's the security she has inside of her. Do you see that? Isn't that? See, that, that, that is wisdom of attraction. If you want to attract a godly man, ladies, 
Be secure in who you are. Be secure in who you are. Not, it's not based on the external. And like, and like you know, ex, like externals are great. We need to look after ourselves. But there is some stuff where I may be this, but I am lovely. I am lovely. And, and listen to what she says. This is part of her character. She works hard in the vineyards. Her brothers, my brothers made me go in the vineyards. I had to look after the vineyards and I didn't look after my own vineyard. What she's saying, I'm a hard worker. I work hard. I'm not lazy. I'm not lazy. I'm a hard worker. I'm a hard. Do, you, do you know a, a godly man or a godly woman looking at a guy or a girl who's lazy, that does not impress us at all. You know, it does not impress. And you can put all sort of excuses, say, yeah, but this, yeah, but that, yeah, but this, yeah, but seriously, you're just lazy. But there is something about working hard. There is something about being diligent. There's something about not wasting. There's something about that that reflects the character of a person. You know? So she's got these people and, and, and they're doing it. And, and this is what else security does. We read from verse 7. It says, Tell me, O you, whom my soul loves, the man, where do you pasture your flock? Okay? Where do you make it lie down at noon? For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? This is what she's saying. Where are you taking your sheep? Because it was a different, it was a different place. But, but you know when she says, like, when, I'm not one who veils my face. I, the, the original saying, I'm not like one of the wanderers. What, what, what he's actually saying is, what she's actually saying, I'm not going to be like those prostitutes who go running after the working men so that, that they may be with them. She is not willing to bend her moral compass. And why is she not willing to bend her moral compass? Because she is secure. Because of her character. This woman's amazing. Yeah? My goodness. What a woman! What is it attracts this couple? Is this character. So this woman, she's, a, she's not impressed with her physical appearance because it's likened to the tents of Cato, but she's beautiful like the curtains of Solomon. She's obedient, she's faithful, she's hardworking. This is a woman who will not bend her, her morality to go and get a guide. She is so secure in herself. Does that sound like some wisdom there? Yeah. That's some great wisdom, isn't it? Fantastic. And then it moves on about like, this wisdom about how they relate to each other. Because she's saying the thing that attracted me to him was his name, his character. And then she goes on to to, uh, to talk about her own character. And then the man speaks. Finally, the man's going to speak. Fella, speak up. From verse 9, says, To me, my darling. <laughs> Guess what he says? I, I suggest you do not use these words. But you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. I suggest you do not call your woman a horse. That's just not going to go down well. <laughs> your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Your neck with strings of beads, <laughs> we will make for you ornaments of gold with beads of silver. You know what, what he says over and over again, he says, to me, my darling, my darling, husbands, boyfriends, dispels in general, are you tender with your words? Tenderness, the tenderness of that. Over and over, my, to you, my darling. What does that, my darling, mean? It means... You're my best friend. It means you're the best. It means you're my friend. These words are kind. They are tender. So he says over and over again, but in this particular instance, it says to me, 
my darling. And then he goes on to explain what that word darling means. And, 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 and he says, you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. And what used to happen is that Pharaoh had armies, had chariots that would go out. But Pharaoh was always pulled by a white mare, always. And she was, that mare was the most special, the most unique, the most prized horse out of all of those possibly thousands of horses that went out. And what Solomon, who loves horses, he's saying, out of all these things to me, you are the most prized. You are the most special. You are the most unique. This is, so, so when we hear Solomon saying to this woman, you're a horse, we're thinking, this brother is going to get in trouble. But for him, back when he's saying this, he is saying something that is so significant and so gentle. I mean, what woman doesn't hear from, want to hear from the man? You are the most unique. You are the most prized. You are the most special. To me, my darling, to me. Might not be to anyone else, but to me, you're unique. To me, to me, to me, to me. It, it is a tone of tenderness. It's a tone. And I would dare say in my experience and observation of this world and being a pastor and everything, if there's something that we as men could do better in the family, better in the household, is being more tender. Because you need to understand, this book is actually putting up this man and this woman, as something, you, we should be shooting for this. But we see all, all of these kind of uh, personas and caricatures of what man really is. But God's saying, you want to be a man? Learn to be tender. Learn to be tender. Learn to be tender. Listen to what she says after this, from verse 12. <clears throat> While the king was at his table, so they're having dinner together. My perfume gave forth its fragrance. Now, back in the day, perfume was worn around the neck, okay? My beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh which lies all night between my breasts. My beloved to me is a cluster of henna blossom in the vineyards of Engede. So perfume was around there, but perfume was so highly esteemed in this culture, back in this day. Perfume was seen as a thing that gives a woman beauty. What is she saying? This woman's saying, the thing that gives me beauty is you. Wow. I don't care. That, that's just cool. <laughs> that is cool. She's sleeping, and, and like throughout the night, she's saying, my thoughts are with you. Can you see how attracted, how in love this couple are, right? It's amazing. It's amazing. The sweetest thing about me, it's you. Just the memory of you stays with me all night. Hannah blossoms, Hannah blossoms were these little red flowers, little red flowers. They were so sweet. And she's saying, to me, you are sweet. You're sweet. Now, I don't know what your man's like, but you can say you're sweet and you're beautiful, but like add a little, like a little bit of grunt behind that. So, I don't know. And look at this. So this lady, this woman, she's, she's with this guy who's, who's saying this, who's tender, who's speaking this, treating her in a tender way. And, 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 and you kind of wonder, how would she feel after this? How would she feel? After this, 
Well, it's quite surprising, you, you may find, because if we move on to chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, and understand that the chapters and all were added after. When Solomon's writing this, he didn't put, oh, this chapter 1 and this chapter 2. After all this, she's saying, I'm the rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. That's what she's saying. So what she's saying, what she thinks of herself, even after all this, I'm the rose of Sharon. Now, roses are different back then, are different roses now. But she's kind of saying, I'm this lily on this plain. And what she's saying is, I'm just like this flower amongst possibly thousands of flowers. That's what she's thinking of herself, okay? That's what she's thinking of herself. She's probably saying, you know what? I'm just a small flower in a, in a sweeping plain. And, and, you know, I'm just, a, I'm just plain. I'm just a lily in the valley, I'm just a flower in the fields. I'm just a, a tiny little thing amongst so many others. But look at the man's response. Immediately after, the man says, like a lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the maidens. So this woman has got it in her mind. She thinks this of herself, that I'm just like anyone else. I'm just like a flower amongst thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of flowers. I'm just nothing significant. It's nothing unique. And then the man goes in straight away and says, "Uh uh-uh, you're a lily among thorns. Can you see the security that the man is instilling in the woman? There's something that's so precious about the household that the security should be found in the household. Because here's the thing with humanity. If we do not get our security and our value from the house, we will go elsewhere to find it. We will every single time. Every single time. I'm discovering that um, even with my little one, Kayla in particular, Far out. This is like a job. I don't know about you guys who've been parenting longer than me. I tip my hat to you. But I am discovering that this parenting thing is like fly by your pants, learn as you go. It's like, oh, my goodness. Seriously, people write books about this, and they have no idea about Kayla. <laughs> if, I read, if I listened to those books and all that, it would be like we'd be in trouble. But I can read a scripture, and I can get some wisdom. But I'm even finding, like, she's picking up on just tones. You know, just, I think it was yesterday, she like, because we were going to um, Trevor's house, we went to Trevor's house, because we wanted to um, see the horses. And um, so we're over there, and, and she wanted to wear her sandals, right? But I know Trevor's house. If you go sandals, you're going to get cut feet. I was saying, you need to wear shoes. And she, I heard her saying, I wasn't in the room, I heard her saying about her shoes that they don't look good with, what, with the other stuff she's wearing. I think, where's this girl got this fashion sense from? Because I swear it's not from us. But she knows what goes with. So she ran past my bedroom door, and I saw her, and I, and I brought her in, and I sat her on my lap. And because I just heard what she said, I said, Kayla, you are so beautiful. And then I said, do you know why you're beautiful? And she goes, no. I go, why? And, she, and I said, because Daddy said. And she got a smile. But, but I know I'm going to stuff this up a lot, okay, but... One thing I know, that when it comes to, the, I, I, like in our house, I need to somehow, someway, by the grace of God, instill security into Andrea, into Jackson, into Kayla. Because if I don't, they're going to get it from somewhere else. And that is one of the great privileges 
and also opportunities that we have in the household that we can actually do that. But, but get this. After all of this, this woman still thinking, I'm just a little plain flower. But it is incumbent, it is upon the man to actually say, you're not just like one of them. You are a lily among thorns. Lily among thorns. Lily among thorns. So is my darling among the maidens. Immediately he says, you're not common. You're special. You're unique. So this godly man has in his, no, this woman is going to get her esteem, her security from what I do. And it's amazing as we read on that this woman reflects what has just happened to her. So we read from 2 verse 3. He says, she says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. In his shade, I took great delight and sat down and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Get this. She's thinking to herself, you know what, I'm just like this common flower among all these other flowers. But then he sees her man and like, you're just an apple tree among all these other young men, you know. Other men, you know, more hair, got muscles, six pack, let's face it, better humor than me, smarter than me. But this woman is saying, because she's experienced this security, I'm going to come to your shade. And I'm going to eat your fruit. It's sweet to me. Do you see this? That as we instill security. This is a funny thing about actually taking the responsibility upon ourselves to instill security and love and honor and value and worth. And get this, fellas. Nothing sexual has happened yet. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. All the fellas going, come on, Dave. Nothing, nothing of that has happened as yet. This is about instilling worth and value inside of this woman. And, and this woman, as, as a result, she's saying, you're an apple tree among all these other trees, but I'm going to come and take shade under your shade. What's that? I'm going to get my protection from your shade. I'm going to get my protection. Can you see how this thing just is not an allegory? I'm sorry. This is relationship right this is just flipping awesome i reckon anyway he gives me protection his fruit is sweet to my taste seriously i don't want andrea having to go and look elsewhere for shade for tenderness for value for worth but there are so many women who do and there are so many men who do the reason why so often seems to be in this society things go awry is because there are needs and there's a makeup of us how God has made us and we're supposed to find that fulfillment in the household. And when we do not find that in the household, we need to get it from somewhere so we go looking for other shade. We start looking for other lilies instead of knowing and sort of saying, no, why? no, my wife, my woman, you are a lily among thorns but sometimes we can say oh you're just a lily among lilies wait a minute if that's the thought we need to backtrack and we need to actually speak into our marriages to speak into our relationships speak into our homes speak into the women men who are in our life all right seriously 
single girls, if you haven't got a man who's doing this, kick him to the curb because it will not change in marriage. It will not. See, all marriage does is put a magnifying glass over things. So if, and everyone thinks, oh, I'm going to change him, I'm going to change him, I'm going to change him, I'm going to change him. Go talk to someone who's been married for 20, 30, 40 years and you will find that there was stuff that was able to be seen and observed before you said, I do. You before. Okay? Anyway, where are we up to now? Are you guys enjoying this? You getting something out of this? All of this has happened before the marriage bit. Okay? So, guys, like, we're not tender so we can, like, you know. When, that's in a couple of chapters' time. <laughs> but you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And, like, ladies, just, like, upright, like, we might not, like, it does cross our mind, so it's like we're just weirdly wired up as well, so anyway. This is um, <clears throat> amazing because what's happened before in this initial state of like this attraction is that this woman is brought to such a, a state of in a place of desire. I mean, picture this from verse 6. This is the woman speaking. Let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace me. Can you picture that for a moment? What would that look like? I won't bring Andrew up to like so, but like... So I'm the man, I have a head in my left hand, and it's like, that's where she's come to. That's where she's come to. All of this has brought her to this, to this point. There is such desire, there is such intimacy, there is such wanting, there is such attraction. But let's read the last verse of this section, and then we can all go home. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. So this woman is brought to such a point where she's saying, I want his hand to be under my head and his other hand to be embracing me. And Solomon says, not yet. Not yet. This first section is about the wisdom of attraction. It's about going back to the beginning. Can even give you homework. Maybe you've been married for 10 plus years. Start doing this stuff again. Far out. The same stuff, the same wisdom applies throughout life. And it's this idea that it is character that we look for. It's character that we need to nurture. There, 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 there is no contact, no physical contact as yet. Yet this woman wants a man so desperately that, that she wants to give herself completely. And Solomon says, no, not yet. Not yet. There, there is such wisdom in waiting. There is such wisdom in, in doing relationships right. And I think all of us know stories or even by personal experience that there are times when we make mistakes and we do it wrong. Okay? 
And the beautiful thing about coming to church, well, it should be the thing about coming to church, is that when we see in Scripture, when we see wisdom, and we say, oh, that's where I went wrong. God's love, His grace, His forgiveness is there for us. So we can go back to the beginning and we can do it right. We can do it right. We can do it right. I've heard so, had so many people over the years come speak to me and from young teenagers to um, people who are so, many, so much older than me um, asking about relationships. and all. The, one of the things that really spun me out when I was early on in this um, job so many years ago is when I had um, an older couple come to me and um, they, they, they were well past me in years and they were asking me the same questions that like these young adults were asking me like just a couple of days before, and that just spun me out. And I just kind of got like from that and just seeing it after that is that relationships is, is kind of this territory that we all need wisdom in, that we're all on the same playing field here. And as we go through the book of Song of Solomon, we're actually going to find that over and over again, this idea of spring comes up. Spring, 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 the season of spring. What do you think about when you think of spring? You think about new. You think about, it's an amazing time of the year, isn't it, spring? And, and, and the thing is with this wisdom is that God's saying, yeah, we're always coming back to, in your relationships, we're always coming back to spring. We're always coming back to spring. We're always coming back to spring. That, that there is a deepening. There's an enriching. There is something that is going to be developed and deepened as we take God's wisdom and apply it to our lives. Is that okay?